Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Great show, everybody. We've got a preview this week of midweek action. we got some Premier League action. we got some Europa League action. we got some La Liga action. There's some German DFB Pokal action. But there's also some interesting comments from the one and only Jurgen Klopp that the boys cannot wait to get stuck into. Yes, I have Nigel Rio Coker with me. I have Jonathan Johnson with me. So sit back, relax, and let us entertain you because Kiko Lazzo begins right now. Welcome along, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us live. I've got Nigel Rio Coker and Jonathan Johnson. How are you doing, boys? Nigel, start with you. How are you doing, mate? Let's start with JJ. JJ's the star of this No, show. I want to start with you, man. How's it going? How are you, how are you doing, JJ? I'm doing very well, thanks, guys. Uh, to be honest, Villa haven't played yet, so they haven't ruined my week. We'll wait until Thursday, then you can ask me again. <laughs> there, there, hey, Ian, there's a, there's a glass half empty, right? Not half full in, in JJ's, and it's half empty. Uh, maybe a bottle, or he's actually missing a few bottles now. He's sending JJ, just make sure my cognac over to you. Yeah, just make sure my cognac's good, JJ. Don't, don't, my cognac well, does not deserve it, it, any it, it, kind it, of hurt because of if, if I hand it over and it's is it going to be half full or half empty? It better be full. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my cognac's fault, all right. All right, let's get into it, boys. Thanks to everybody out there for joining in the conversation. We are live on Keiko Lazzo, Nigel Rio Coker, Jonathan Johnson, and myself, Ian Joy. We're discussing all the midweek action, but also some hot topics. And, of course, Jurgen Klopp's comments. We look to react to that. Plus, we'll hear from reaction from Eddie Howe as to what he thought about Jurgen Klopp's comments as well about the uh, three running away with the financial freedom that they have to spend money. But let's get into interesting games that are going on this week. We'll start with Manchester United taking on Spurs on Wednesday. Um, I, I guess the, the question I'd go into it, Nigel, more than anything else, who actually goes into this game as a favourite? Is, is Spurs a little bit of a favourite going into this game? Spurs are the favourite. There's no doubt about it. I'm sorry. Like, there's no doubt. This why? Tell me why they're favourites. Because they are quietly going on about their business. They're third in the table, four points off the top. Typical Conte team, style of play. Few people have moaned. If it was any other manager with that style of play at Tottenham, people would have got rid of him. But because they're winning, they're sitting third in the table and they look consistent. And I still don't think Spurs are playing at a eight or nine out of 10. I still feel they're still playing within themselves, but they're getting results and they're grinding out draws, which is the scary thing. Mm-hmm. They're not playing fascinating, exciting football. They're just getting the results and getting the job done in a very professional manner. If it was any other manager and if it wasn't Conte with his reputation and his winning mentality and how good he is at football, they probably would have been uproar right now by Spurs fans and not enjoying the football, even though they're winning. So I think for me, Spurs go in there as the favourite because you still look at Manchester United, there's still so much wrong with that club with regardless of players they've brought in. You can just clearly see it yourself. I watched them against Newcastle. Yeah, There still seems to be no real togetherness, no cohesion in that squad whatsoever. Ronaldo's getting frustrated. Anthony's picking up the ball sometimes and crossing it, but the quality's not good enough. The level and the standards are not good enough for what's expected of Manchester United. 
Eric Entar criticised Marcus Rashford for saying he needs to be more clinical, which the manager's right. I'm a big mm -hmm. Marcus Rashford fan, but he really does need to be a bit more clinical. He gets the best chance at the end of the game when Man United, you'd say, should have Big got chance. the result. Big mm -hmm. chance. So there's still so much wrong at that club that it's just, for me, um, you have to say Spurs are the, are the favourites. Yeah, I don't think you can argue with that at this moment in time. I think if I had one sort of criticism of Spurs' season so far, it's perhaps that they've been a little unconvincing in Europe as opposed to, to domestically. But I think if you someone said to Conte at the beginning of the season, you know, would you take being third place, 10 games in, uh, you know, four points uh, off of top? Yeah, I'm sure he would have taken it. You know, that's a, a big improvement on what we've seen from Spurs in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, and I agree with Nigel. I, th I think, you know, they are favourites coming into this clash uh, against United. United. The one thing that I guess I would say about United is I think after a couple of encouraging results and performances, people probably got a bit carried away by themselves. This revolution, uh, you know, that Ten Hag is trying to oversee, I think it was always going to be one that comes in waves. Uh, you know, it's, you know, so, sort of smaller steps and perhaps some of the results, uh, you know, have been a bit deceiving in terms of sort of how much progress has been made since he's, yeah. he's taken over. This is going to be, uh, you know, a question of years as opposed to sort of months to really get United back on track and competing for where they feel, uh, you know, they should be competing. So, you know, no doubts about it for me, uh, you know, Spurs are the favourites uh, coming into this one. And even if United were to win it, you know, there is still, you know, a fair gap uh, developing between them and sort of the teams in the Champions League spots already okay Chelsea maybe not so much because they both have a game in hand but they're only three points behind but if you look at the gap between Spurs and United already despite that game in hand it's already you know fairly big I mean I wouldn't call it a chasm just yet but sort of yeah. getting there so JJ all you and I want to know is how many years is it going to take Man United to get there realistically how many years I mean, I think realistically, you're talking about three years I you know I think you know when you cut when you come into to a project like that you have to probably set yourself a time frame of about three to five years to really get United back to the top of the tree domestically. I mean, look how long it took for Klopp to turn Liverpool around. Uh, you know, I think Ten Hag is facing but yeah, okay, you know, JJ, a, sim got, a similar size task. In there, though, because Klopp is different. I think Klopp was backed and believed by the Liverpool board. The problem you have with Manchester United is there's too many cooks in that broth there because people up top who've never played the game think they know better and they seem to never trusted any manager. That yeah, they don't trust anyone. Yeah, With players that come in and want to buy certain players, they don't trust them. But Klopp yeah. was backed. They let him run everything. They let him do everything. And that's why you're seeing the success. Manchester United still, because of ownership, doesn't have that trust in whoever comes in, which is why I don't think three to four years. I'm looking at Man United about 10 to 12 years. Because remember, as players... You're still looking at what other clubs are doing. Manchester United has lost the glory of being the winning team. It's not what have you done in the past. It's what have you done lately. And Manchester mm -hmm. United can still be Manchester United, yes. But for young players, we can't act like society and football hasn't changed. They're more attracted to the Chelsea, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Paris Saint-Germain, Dortmund, Munich. There's so many big clubs out there. Even Nigel. Real quickly on your point right there, when you say, you know, 10 to 12 years and obviously JJ's talking three years, what are you considering a success? Are you considering challenging for the title again? Are you considering top four? Like, what is the realistic goal for Manchester United Manchester, now? Manchester United, for the club that it is, realistically is challenging for Premier League titles and trying to win Champions League. That's what it is. But it takes a big overhaul in recruitment, not just for one or two seasons. It's recruitment for the long term. And you look at, well, again, we always talk about it. This is just my opinion. I don't put it on you guys. But I tell you, when I look at Real Madrid and what they've done and how they go about it, 
they're consistent for years down the line. We haven't heard Real Madrid ever say we're in a rebuilding process. No, because even when we don't think that their squad is good enough or capable of competing, they still win things with players where we know this ain't the Real Madrid we grew up watching, like with the Galactico superstars. They don't have that many superstars, but they're still winning things. Man United are not there and they're far from it. Again, you look at Casemiro, great player. It's a, it's a, it's a gap filler. That's not long-term. They missed out on some top young players already in that midfield role from around the world because they're not proactive. So that's why I think it's it's longer. And I, I love the fact that JJ is being more positive about Man United than he is about Villa. <laughs> you know, there, there's some really valid points. What I would say is when I said three to five years, I say sort of closer to three to get themselves back towards the, the sort of Champions League spots in the Premier League. Certainly if we're talking about re-establishing themselves as a continental force, yeah, we're definitely talking five years, probably upwards of that. Uh, I guess also sticking on sort of the theme, the comparison between the, the situation that Ten Hag inherited compared to the one with Klopp. Ten Hag has inherited a better squad, arguably, than Klopp got, uh, you know, yeah. when he was at Liverpool obviously different clubs uh, you know but both big important clubs in the Premier League but Ten Hag definitely has greater quality in that group of players uh, you know that he has inherited rather than the the group that Klopp came into but uh, you know I do think as well you're, you're completely right the sort of off the field issues uh, at United are much, much trickier. And perhaps something that could ease the task for for Ten Hag in this attempted revolution is maybe a change of ownership at some point. I know it seems unlikely at this moment in time, but it is something that started to sort of crop up in discussion the last couple of months. And if that were to happen, you know, perhaps that would pave the way to United re-establishing themselves as sort of really one of the dominant forces uh, of Premier League football, uh, both domestically and uh, on the continent. Yeah, yeah. I guess you have to expect the unexpected when it comes to ownership with Manchester United and all teams in the Premier League right now because they're worth so much money. And and business-wise, it makes sense for people to jump into the Premier League and and have ownership. And that's why you're seeing so many Americans jumping in and obviously trying to get their hands on these clubs as quickly as possible because they just know that the Premier League has just gone through the roof and and it's the best piece of business you could possibly get right now in buying a Premier League club and continue to grow. So expect and and kind of watch what happens off the field with that. Um, You know, I was was very lucky as a, as a schoolboy before I signed professional contract to, to spend three years at Man United under Sir Alex Ferguson and, and watching you know how he ran everything from the youth side all the way up. Now, I couldn't imagine being a youth player at a club like Manchester United now going through this situation. And, and as you know well and truly, Nigel, trying to get into the Premier League as a young player right now is almost impossible. It's very, very difficult. Trying to get into a Premier League club that is desperate right now and will do anything and will buy players there really is no route for a lot of these young players to get into the first team. They're even buying some of the best young players, putting them into the youth team and claiming them to be developmental players. Now, it's insane to see what has changed philosophy-wise with Manchester United as desperation creeps in. Because as you mentioned, Manchester United is about winning trophies. I don't care what anyone said. Manchester United's DNA was about winning trophies and competing for the Premier League. Top four, it's great now. Business-wise, financially, it's a success. And Premier League fans seem to be happy with a top four finish. But I don't think anyone at Manchester United is not happy with the fact that there are other teams around the Premier League that are running away and competing and are better clubs, better ran clubs, um, are more dangerous. They're spending more money on players. Well, maybe not so much more money, but they're definitely creating a better squad of quality and and depth and can compete in the Champions League and the Premier League uh, ferociously. And I just think there's a lot of United fans out there who get frustrated every single week with what is happening at the football club when you go to a game like this against Spurs on Wednesday 
And you have no idea how Man United are going to turn up. You have no idea if they're going to be good, they're going to be bad, if Rashford's going to finish that chance, if Cristiano's going to play, if he's going to moan on, on the bench. I mean, it's a it's a crazy situation right now being a Manchester United fan. It, it really is. And I just don't know. You say three or five years. Nigel says 10 to 12 years. I couldn't even tell you how far away Manchester United are from competing for a trophy. Top four, I think they can compete with straight away because they have a squad and they might get lucky if they put some results together. But at the end of the day, they're about winning trophies and they're a million miles. It may take longer than 12 years for a man United to lift the trophy. Hey, how long did it take Liverpool to win the title again? Was it yeah. 20 years? Yeah, hey, but it's not, it's, it's not unrealistic, the though, Nigel. Champions League, the odd stuff, but <clears throat> to win the league title, I'm telling you, and the funny thing is, just to add to what you said there, Ian, the modern-day football now, most of my ex-friends that I played with in the professional game who lived in that Manchester region, they're getting scouted by Manchester City scouts just because of who their dads are. Yeah. My friend told me the other day that his kid was just playing, mess up, like just a random game of football in some school in Cheshire. And there was Man City scouts there, like trying to take his kid to go training with Man City. And he's like, <laughs> he's not even that serious about it. He's just playing for the funding. But because of who his dad is, they're doing that. And if you look in Man City's academy right now, the amount of ex-professional players that they've got in their academy is frightening. I'm talking from players who played for Bolton, for whether it's Manchester City, Man United. Didn't they, or, don't they have Heskey's son on the verge of breaking Hes- through? Yeah, that's my boy. Don't, don't talk about Heskey's son. That's my boy. That's family right there. He just came back from an injury and scored against Liverpool. But that's the scary thing. It just goes to add with what Ian is saying, JJ, that it's so scary now. And again, you would think that most kids would give an arm and a leg to go and play for Manchester United. Like yeah. back in the day, that academy, what it means to play for Man United now Insane. They don't care about Man United. There's, there's, there's other academies now that are just getting these kids like nothing. Nigel, and Manchester United are struggling. I can tell you from, from personal experience watching behind the scenes, even in here in New York City. You know, I'm in New York City. I'm watching what City Football Group are doing in New York around Major League Soccer. But what they're doing in South America and North America, they're getting a grip of all the best players all across the world, all across the globe, man. doesn't matter where these players are. City Football Group will recognize if they are good or not good. They've already scouted so many players and they're making decisions now on kids who are probably younger than 10 years old for what Manchester City, and realistically, that's the end goal for City Football Group. They may own all these other clubs, but if you're good enough, you're going to Manchester City. That's what the end goal is, is for City to be successful, for City Football Group obviously to make money. But at the end of the day, they have this scouting system right now that has a grip. And how can you compete with that? That's what Todd Bowley's comments can. were. You can compete with that. How can I, I you compete with that? I think that there's so many talented players around the world. It just depends on how proactive these clubs are, how many good scouts they have actually going to scout these games. There's, a, there's an element of um, opta stats and all that you can use to a certain degree. But the reality right. of it is if you really know football... You can go and watch football and in a heartbeat, you can spot out a player if you really know the game. Like I said before on this pod, Declan Rice, within two minutes of training room under 23, I said this kid could play in our generation yep. and should be in the first team now. A couple of weeks later, he made his, his Premier League debut and the rest is history. I remember watching Harvey Elliott, uh, Fulham, under 23s before he moved to Liverpool. And at the time, Real Madrid were interested in him as well. I watched him for two minutes. I'm like, yeah, that kid's special. Like, you could see it instantly, but it's Yeah, but don't you think that these clubs and these, like, let's say, City Football Group, Red Bull System, and and whatever systems are trying to be put together, don't you think they have an advantage because they have so many clubs around the world? I mean, look at Salzburg. Let me just mention this to you. Salzburg at the weekend, the average age of the starting 11 was 21. 
21 years old of the I mean it's just but insane. That's, that's what I'm saying Ian. they've they've got their game plan but then there's still so much talent out there. It's not just yeah. in Europe, there's talent in Japan, Korea, Latin America, there's so much talent. Africa. It's how willing these guys are willing to go or they're waiting through the grapevine until they hear about a certain kid and then they jump on him when the price is inflated. Like yeah. Kayaki, another top player that Man City have got. Alvarez, top player. But if any of these other clubs went for them, these kids want to come to Europe. He, mm. These kids could easily have been at West Ham or any of these clubs just because they want to come to Europe. But it's how proactive these clubs are and their managers are in the scouting department, the scouting element of it and what these clubs look for. So you can compete mm. with these City groups. It's just about being proactive. But um, for me, I predict a Tottenham win anyway. Where are you going with score-wise? 3-1 Tottenham. Harry Kane shows Manchester United why they need a striker at number nine. JJ. <laughs> I'm going to say 2-1 Spurs. We got way off topic right there. I mean, that went so far off topic. It was crazy. Producer Des, thank you very much for getting us back on schedule. Let's get to Jurgen Klopp's comments before we touch on a little break and then head to the rest of the games in the Premier League and around Europe because it is midweek action right now. But Jurgen Klopp's comments, uh, Producer Des, if you could roll the video, this was very interesting, very entertaining, and the rest of the world seems to be reacting and having a good comment. So we thought we'd have our share as well. But just check out Jurgen Klopp's comments before we get stuck into it. Oh, you don't like it. You don't like the answer. You will not like the answer about that. And you all have the answer already. So nobody can compete with City in that. You have the best team in the world and you put in the best striker on the market. No, no matter what it costs. No matter what it costs, you just do it. I know, City, they will not like it. Nobody will like it. You ask a question, but you know the answer. But, but what does Liverpool mean? We cannot act like them. It's not possible. Not possible. It's just just clear. And again, you know the answer. There there are three clubs in world football who can do what they want. Financially. It's it's illegal and everything fine, but they can do what they want. Put in, and they will say, yeah, but we have the... But it's exactly the fact. We have to look at, we need here, we need that, and we need that, and then we have to look here and make it younger, and here um, a prospect, and here a talent. That's what you have to do. And, 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 and you compete with them. It's not, not a problem at all for me. It's like it is, but it's, you, you don't ask me that question because we always open this discussion and in the end it's me telling you. But you all know it. You should know. It's not possible to deal with that. And it will be like this. I heard now the Newcastle, whatever is there, said uh, there's no ceiling for this club. Yeah, right. He did you. He's right. <laughs> He's absolutely right. There's no ceiling for Newcastle. Congratulations. Some other clubs have ceilings. 100%. All right. Let me just set the stage real quickly. So that was Jurgen Klopp's comments on saying that there were three clubs in the world who can do what they want financially. Obviously, the Liverpool manager admitting that it's impossible to compete with the likes of Manchester City and obviously Newcastle. Um, who are spending a ton of money or at least have no ceiling now. Uh, Nigel, I know you're dying to get in here, but I've got no, to get no, no, I'm letting JJ comments. go in because JJ, 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 JJ's JJ, always in the on. basement of one of those clubs that Jurgen Klopp <laughs> JJ's always in the basement of their club. So, JJ, the floor is yours. What are your thoughts, JJ, really on the comments of Jurgen Klopp? But is it the truth? I mean, is this where we're at right now? I mean, it, there is a large element of truth to it. Don't get me wrong. Um, and that's not me sort of coming out to, to defend PSG, City or Newcastle. You know, there, there is a large element of truth to it. Clubs 
like Liverpool generally can't compete, uh, you know, with sort of the spending sprees of the the likes of the the cities, Newcastle's now and uh, and PSG, but sort of specific, I guess, to, you know, part of what this discussion was based around, which was bringing Haaland into that Man City side. I guess I would look back at what's, what Liverpool did over the summer and also suggest that perhaps they could rejig their strategy a little bit. I think that they could have planned their summer transfer window a bit bit better, use the money that they had more wisely. Because if you're looking sort of at the amount that Haaland cost City and Darwin Nunez cost Liverpool, it's not too dissimilar in terms of fees. Now, would Haaland have fixed all of Liverpool's problems if he'd gone there instead of City? You know, if we forget the the link with his dad and Manchester City back in the day, I don't think that Haaland would have fixed all of Liverpool's problems. Sure, they might be scoring a few more goals. Uh, but, you know, I think the problem at Liverpool runs a bit deeper than that. So Klopp is absolutely right in what he's saying generally, but I don't think it should sort of distract from some of the the warranted criticism that Liverpool also merit for this season, because I don't think that they planned, I don't think they were realistic enough with their expectations with the players in their squad. And that's what part of the reason why they're struggling this season, because instead of going for somebody like Nunez to try and keep that con- continuity going, trying to replace Mane with another proven goal scorer, uh, you know, I think they overlooked some other aspects of their squad. And that has been Liverpool's strength in the last couple of years. They've been so good at identifying the different areas where they need to make a few changes, a few tweaks, a few adjustments to keep them playing in Klopp style. And now suddenly Klopp style is just running them into the ground and they're really, really struggling to put form together. So for me, I think that yes, Klopp is absolutely right in terms of it being very difficult to compete with these clubs. However, could Liverpool, on the other hand, have done a better job in this summer's transfer window? Yes, I think they could have done. And I think it would have been more competitive this season. Great point, JJ. JJ, I love you, mate. I think JJ has made fantastic points in the football element side of things. I'm going to take in a different direction. Well, a few different places anyway, in the sense of just the wording of what Jurgen Klopp said. (laughs) I truly believe that Jurgen Klopp is telling the truth. When it comes down for the simple facts, financially, you can't compete, regardless of what players you bought. And then JJ made great points in the sense of the transfers and the players that they've identified. Not going to disagree with that at all. But Mm -hmm. in the bottom line of it, These clubs are state-run, basically government-run clubs. Their pockets are endless, especially from the Middle East. That is what Jurgen Klopp is talking about. Because the reality of it is, as much as JJ says that as well, is you've got to think, Liverpool's owned by American owners. They're all about profit as well. They see the business aspect of it. They're not going to get 100 million in and want to spend another 100 million to get another player in. They're going to want to see some profit, take some money for themselves. Again, that's their choice. When you look at the three clubs that Jurgen Klopp's talking about, that money that comes in for any players is nothing to them. And like Jurgen Klopp says, there are rules in place, but like we know, like we see in society, there's loopholes in these laws where these clubs get away with it. That's just the reality. And a good point that our very intelligent producer made, Des, it's just a shame he's an Atletico fan. Man City <laughs> bought Jack Grealish for 100 million, pretty much. He sits on the bench. That's 100 million players sitting on the bench. Liverpool have Diego Jota. I can't remember exactly the price tag for Jota. He's injured now. He's going to miss the World Cup, we just heard today. That's a big loss. Liverpool can't go and buy another player for 100 million to replace Jota from now till the World Cup until after the World Cup to fill that void. That is what he's talking about, where they've got the luxury of a fit player they spend 100 million on, believing he's going to carry the club to the next level. 
and he's sitting on the bench. And let's not forget, they got rid of Raheem Sterling, who's coming into his prime right now. And they got rid of him to one of their biggest rivals, which shows the disparities between these clubs. And it's just interesting. I think Jota was bought for 45 million. And it's just interesting for me, Ian, as well, because just taking the conversation slightly elsewhere, Jurgen Klopp's 100% right. But what I find so interesting now is this. We already talked about the amount of American owners coming to own English clubs, trying to form this Super League. How are they going to do that with Middle Eastern owners who have deeper pockets than all these American groups and can compete to get the best club, the best players to destroy that? So now really and truly, when you look in the long run, in the future of football, how are they going to do these Super League if it happens or ever goes there? And how are the Americans going to maintain a competitive edge? Because like we say, these clubs are really state run. And if Ed, and, and the problem I've got with this is Dean Ashworth, I believe, is the director of football of Newcastle. Yes. He came out and said, there is no ceiling. I don't understand why Eddie Howe is coming to say there is a ceiling. Like, who does Eddie Howe think he's fooling? We all know it. The difference with Newcastle is they haven't been as aggressive as Roman Abramovich was when he took over Chelsea. They haven't been as aggressive as um, Manchester City when they took over with the players they're going for. They're being a little bit more, if you want to use the terminology, diplomatic in the sense of how they're looking to build Newcastle. But we know there is no glass ceiling. That's the reality of it. And let's not talk about the Newcastle away kit. But I'm just going to leave it there because there's a lot we can digest in that. Well, we're not going to leave it there. We're actually going to fire you back up because we actually have comments from Newcastle boss Eddie Howe. Here it is. It's a difficult one because I think it's probably been used in the wrong way. I think what Dan meant with his comment was there's no ceiling to our ambition. I think long term, the club have huge plans and want to go to places um, that the club... Um, yeah, uh, huge ambitions. But at the moment, the reality of what we're working towards or working with, it, it, there is a ceiling because of all the things that I've sat here and explained every week, financial fair play, we're still in a training ground that's being renovated. So we're, we're not living that life that is being discussed. We're living a very different reality. Our wage bill is very controlled. We're trying to do things in a very stable and controlled way. There's been no lavish, although we spent money on players, it's not been extravagant or... Oh, Isak wasn't, no? I think with the rest of the Premier League. So... I think that it has to be careful or everyone has to be careful with, with comments and opinions. Um, I'll behave. That's just my belief. Just don't answer the question. I'm sorry. Here, just don't answer the question. Just say, I'm only here to talk about football. Don't answer the question. Don't put yourself in that position and start being diplomatic and this and that when everyone knows is there to see. Like, you look very, yeah. in my opinion, I think you look silly doing that. See, I think uh, I think the one way that some of these uh, you know clubs can start to compete is by you know thinking smarter than these rich clubs. You know, Newcastle. You know, the jur the jury is out at the moment on whether they're going to be a truly well-run club or not. They're you know they're talking the talk for the moment. Let's see if they walk the walk in the next sort of twelve to eighteen months. Uh, you know, with PSG, uh, you know, I think they've gotten a handle on their situation a bit better this summer, but they have not, generally speaking, been a particularly well-run club. Yes, they attract some very big names, but in terms of strategy, I think they've been found wanting many a time. I think City of the three are 
definitely the, the the best run sort of in in terms of the the overall um you know time since the the takeover happened but i think that you know some of these clubs like a chelsea for example um you know i think they do have an opportunity to come in do the really smart stuff behind the scenes get the right people in the right positions you know to be able to compete with the you know the clubs with no ceiling because at the end of the day you know chelsea are not exactly going to be living on a shoestring budget and i think a combination of you know having really smart savvy operators in the right positions and a bit of money to spend uh, you know will go a long way and of course having the right person uh, you know leading the team on the pitch as well and if you can combine all of those different factors you can go a long way I mean, look at a club like Lance for example in Ligue 1 I know it's a bit of a, a sort of curveball example to give but look at how they're competing at the top of Ligue 1 at the moment with the likes of PSG look at Lorient as well you know there it is possible for some of these clubs to challenge these clubs uh, you know that, that don't have any ceiling admittedly a bit tougher in the Premier League given how much money that there is in play for pretty much all of the clubs but I do think that you know with a, a greater emphasis sort of on strategy some of the clubs who are you know well off, but perhaps not as well off as the clubs without ceilings could, you know, still, you know, beat them to, to important titles from time to time. JJ, CBS Sports have actually asked me to let you know that they're going to move you from Paris to <laughs> Newcastle just to follow the money, if that's okay yeah. with you. Take a drink. Take that. Take a big drink. I think you need something ready <laughs> yeah. in that so, Yeah, so, so, so sounds good as long as I can have my weekends back in Paris. Yeah, you're going to trade in that bottle of wine for a Newcastle brown ale, mate. Just letting you know there. <laughs> now, great comments from both of you. Obviously, fantastic to, to hear comments like this from Jurgen Klopp. I love his brutal honesty. I mean, that's why we all love Jurgen Klopp. Clearly, he's a man under pressure right now trying to get results. I'm sure he puts the pressure on himself trying to get results for Liverpool Football Club. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Ian, I don't think he's under pressure. I don't, I don't agree to it. Like, it's just an indifferent season. But Liverpool will be stupid to sack him and whatever it is. But I just don't think he's under pressure. But what I said is he's putting the pressure on himself to yeah, get results. Yeah. He's a professional. He's a winner. He, does, he doesn't like to lose. So he's putting pressure on himself to try and get results. And I've seen this before from Jurgen Klopp, Nigel, where his comments and his reactions, he gets more aggressive. And JJ, I'm sure you've, you've dealt with him numerous times. And, and coaches who are similar to Jurgen Klopp, they get frustrated quickly. They don't like answering questions in the media. They don't like you know going to these press conferences. And you can see that he is a bit different from when Liverpool are when they're winning. Who wouldn't be different when they're winning? Of course, we all are. Um, but I just think that the game is, it, it, it's a beautiful growing game. And, and having this investment, you have to be careful, obviously, where this money comes from. And, and Eddie Howe, and to your comments, Nigel, how he handled the human rights comments that were asked to him when he first took over as boss, he kept quiet and didn't say anything. So when it comes to this situation, when someone's having a dig at your football club, talking about ceilings, and also um, your sporting director doesn't help you by saying that there is no ceiling for the football club, exactly. he's just trying to he's trying to say something just to give a response to the media and calm everybody down from expectation. Because Newcastle, with the money that they have, it's really on his shoulders now to get that team winning. To JJ's point, they got to be well run from behind the scenes, but he's the one who's got to get the results out there on the pitch. Because at the end of the day. That's what it comes down to for Newcastle Football Club. They're in it to win. They're not in it just to, you know, make money right now. They're in it. The Saudis are in it to win it. They want to win something. You want to add something to that, Nigel? You look eager. No, I think you're right. You're right. I just think for me, again, realistically, let's be real about this as well. Like, is Eddie Howe uh, uh, stopping the gap for now until they recruit the players that they feel that they really want and then they feel that they need a manager who may be able to take them to another level. And that's no disrespect to Eddie Howe. I'm a big fan of Eddie Howe. I think he's does fantastically well and he's a great manager and a great coach 
I mean, yeah. the proof is in the pudding in how he sets his team up to play and how entertaining they are. But for me, again, it's the difficult thing with Newcastle is, like JJ made fun of not wanting to move to Newcastle and leave Paris. Good luck in recruiting some of these top players in the world to live there because it's going to cost them an arm and a leg to get there. And there's nothing wrong with Newcastle. I'm British. But there's nothing wrong with Newcastle. But for foreign players who come from... It's essentially Scotland. You know that, right? Listen, we, we've seen top players go to Manchester. I think it was a Di Maria and his wife was moaning about the food in Manchester and stuff like that. <laughs> if you want the top players, you're going to have to put a, an even arm and a leg behind closed doors to keep them happy. And that's no... You can get Ravanelli to go play for Middlesbrough. You can get anyone to go play for Newcastle. It's a great city. Oh, yeah, Ian. Yeah. Yeah. Dogs <laughs> are Brazilian now. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to withhold my opinion, but I guess the one thing uh, that I would add uh, just before that, sort of on the difference between Klopp and how, you know, Klopp is a really experienced manager now. He's been around the block. He's been in these situations before. Uh, and I think he knows when it's best to deflect attention from his squad to enable them to do their thing on the pitch, to improve their form. Uh, you know, that I think when, when people spend more time talking about Klopp than the Liverpool struggles on the pitch, he's doing his job right in shielding his players from from uh, all of that noise. And I think that is part of what he's doing right now with this debate. Ferguson used to do it very well. Yeah, incredibly well. And uh, so well with the team, the way he dealt with the players as well, in particular. Uh, a few comments before we get to break here. Rafa saying, uh, Nigel, you're 100% correct. And uh, as is Jurgen Klopp with his comments, Matt Osmond also saying that he sees no lies in what Jurgen Klopp said either. Rafa, appreciating the conversation. We'd like everybody to join in the conversation a bit more, please. Uh, keep on letting us know your feelings. Uh, if you agree with the boys, if you agree with what's happening. But when we get back, we're going to take a quick break right now. But when we get back, we're going to discuss a little bit more Premier League because there are more midweek fixtures to look ahead and we'll have a look at Arsenal in Europe we'll have a look at La Liga and also a bit of Copa Italia so stay with us we'll be right back Welcome back to Kegel So it's myself and Jonathan Johnson and apparently Nigel Rio Coker had to nift to the bathroom real quickly but he's back in time for the second part of our show we're discussing the Premier League and having a look at the midweek fixtures that are coming up um, great discussion from the boys a moment ago about Jurgen, Klomet, Jurgen Klopp's comments Jurgen on that <laughs> the big three, that was German. The big three obviously having a financial advantage. However, Liverpool trying to compete the best they possibly can. They are also um, looking forward to this midweek fixture list as well. Fulham, Aston Villa, JJ on Thursday. Stephen Gerrard, obviously a lot of comments. I've got some comments in the WhatsApp group from you directly. Um, you, I mean, you must be a bit frustrated as an Aston Villa fan. I thought the performance at the weekend was very, very good. It was an inspiring performance. A little unfortunate that you found a red-hot goalkeeper, by the way, in Kepa, who was on form. Um, but I guess the question I have to you more than anything else, from what I've been reading, from what I'm uh, looking at around Aston Villa, is... Is Steven Gerrard the right man for the club going forward? Because comments I'm seeing this morning from over in the UK say that he needs more time. He is the right man. But you, obviously following the club and loving the club, do you agree or not? No, I don't agree. Uh, I think he's had more than enough time now to to turn things around. You just have to look at where Villa are now compared to where Villa were when he arrived. The position hasn't really changed. Okay, the form sort of in the lead up to these crucial matches is a bit better. You know, Villa had that four-game unbeaten run before losing to Chelsea and they lost five on the bounce, which got Dean Smith the sack. But, you know, overall, uh, you know, a lot of money is in being invested in a squad, in players who are experienced, ready to deliver now and arguably don't have sort of much resale value or, uh, you know, 
you know, probably won't be playing too much of a part in the Villa project sort of in, I don't know, maybe three years time or something like that. Uh, and it just feels like, you know, Gerard still doesn't know his best 11. And yeah, you know, we've seen a couple of spirited performances so far this season. Chelsea, very encouraging. City, encouraging. But it's the games against the likes of Fulham, uh, you know, that have been costing Villa so far this season. I don't see it changing. I don't see it changing uh, on Thursday. And, you know, I think the longer that this goes on, uh, you know, the, the, the more... Incre- the increasingly more obvious it is that, uh, you know, Gerard you know, needs to go and that Villa, you know, they need to make a smart appointment, somebody who is going to be Who would that be though, JJ? Who would that be? Because for me, Stephen Gerrard, for me, was a phenomenal, uh, you know, appointment oh, for Aston Villa. I thought it was phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, what he did in Scotland was incredible. I actually think that Rangers would have Ian. been better had they kept him. Ian, don't say that. Let's not go there. Because <laughs> even JJ, if JJ finish him, I'm not saying anything, finish him about that comment as well. But the other thing, I mean, the the, the other th- the other way to look at it, and I'm I'm not going to sort of get into the you know it's a big gap between the the Scottish Premier League and going to the Premier League, but a lot of the comments as soon as Gerard arrived was basically that you're not investing in Gerard alone as a tactician and as man motivator. You're invest you're investing in the whole team around him, and a big part of that was Beal, who's now gone to QPR and is doing very good things with them in the Championship at this moment in time. And I think if you as a manager, you're only sort of as good as the assistant that you have, and there are similar examples as well in Europe, Laurent Blanc being one as well. Uh, you know, I think that it can be quite a risk for a club to, to to take a gamble on you. And it feels like things have gone progressively downhill since Beal left Gerard's setup. And I'm not saying it's the only reason, you know, there were other players added to the mix as well who perhaps haven't worked out. Uh, but it just, to me, it feels like, you know, Gerard was... He felt like an obvious choice given the success that he'd had with, uh, with with Rangers. But ultimately, you know, he has asked the board for the backing. He's been given it. He's been able to add these players to supposedly play in the system that he believes suits Villa best. And yet it's still unclear, you know, what that best 11 is. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not good enough. And I, to be honest, even two positive results in the next couple of games I still would have my doubts about continuing with Gerard. When you see names like Pochettino, uh, you know, being linked with Villa, uh, Emery as well, another one, Thomas Tuchel. Yes, they're all very ambitious names, arguably above Villa's station with all due respect to my fellow Villa fans. But, you know, that is the ambition, the level of ambition that the club has. Uh, you know, and you can't say that what Gerard is getting out of the players is in line with that at this moment in time. How very dare correct. you say that about Villa, JJ? One of the only few English clubs to win the European Cup. Just remember that, all right? They're not above their station. I don't, don't believe me. I don't forget Man it. City won it yet? It's up, no. It's up, there, it's up there on the wall exactly. to remind Man me every City day. Man City won it yet? No. Arsenal won it yet? No. Hello, Ian. You want me to jump I, in now? No, I basically <laughs> want to know. I want to know why it hasn't worked out for Stephen Gerrard. Then, I mean, what is your opinion? So obviously, you know the club I, very, I, very well. You know the deep, deep depth of what the fans want to see on the pitch there. And um, but I'm trying to what, figure out why it's not because I watched that game at the weekend and I saw entertaining football from Villa. No problem, fun. Ian. But the problem is this: you can't go on just one good performance in the entire season under Dean Smith. They were performing well. They're exciting to watch. People didn't complain. Right now, currently, when I look at Aston Villa, Villa, being honest, they look like a bottom half Premier League team. They don't look good. He's come with the same style of play, as you know, playing for Rangers, trying to go narrow, not using the whip, trying to go inside. You've got Coutinho, who hasn't produced at all. He only produced before he signed his contract and made it permanent. Once he did, got very comfortable. They can't get him the ball. You've got Danny Ings, Ollie Watkins. You've got good players. Aston Villa should be competing in that top half of the table 
pushing for at least six or seventh with the squad that they have. Mm-hmm. They back Gerard. The performances have been very bland. And let's be honest about it. The press and the media play a big part in England because, again, it's Gerard Lampard, and now I'm hearing Michael Carrick might be getting the Middlesbrough job. It's all the old England regime that yeah. they want to get jobs. Just because you're a legendary ex-player doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate to become a legendary manager, in my opinion. And That's I think it's more so the love from the media and the press wanting these guys to be managers and go against each other that people are falling in love with than actually getting a manager that's good to be able to manage a dressing room and be able to communicate. I've come across a lot of top players, and I'll be honest with you, 99% of them were absolute arseholes as human beings. So if your human being is an arsehole, how do you think you're going to be able to relate? And I'm not saying this is Gerard. I'm not saying this is Steven Gerrard at all, because I've actually got along quite well with Steven Gerrard. But the reality of it is he's had time already. I haven't seen a great deal of improvement or a great deal of a real direction in what I see from Aston Villa right now, which for me, reality of it is, if he wasn't Steven Gerrard, they would have got rid of him. Because you could say they were very, very quick to get rid of Dean Smith with a few results. And that was only because they wanted to bring Steven Gerrard in. But has there been a real great change from when Dean Smith was there to now Gerrard is there with better players? I personally feel there's been a drop because watching Villa is very hard, but you can't just give them credit for just one good performance in the entire season. That's what makes it so hard to really say, okay, he deserves more time. And again, let's be real. In comparison, you look at what Eddie Howe's doing with the the players that he has available and the squad that he has. There's other managers that are still doing quite well without being backed as much as Steven Gerrard has been backed, where they're still playing attractive football. And the last point, again, I've said it before, I look at Patrick Vieira. You look at that Crystal Palace side, they're exciting to watch. Whoever Crystal Palace are playing, they're an exciting team to watch where the fans can't even moan. I can't say the same for Aston Villa currently, even with the quality of players they have. Oh, great I think point. Something, something that's quite telling as well is some of Gerard's comments recently give away the fact that he's not even really convinced uh, you know, by the answers that he's giving the press now. Uh, and I think it was also quite telling as well on Monday night after the Ballon d'Or ceremony when the rumours started breaking about, you know, Gerard potentially, you know, being on the being on the chopping block. Villa were quite quick to shut that down. But it feels to me like there's no smoke without fire. We know how important this next game or two is going to be for Gerard. Uh, and it's it's really difficult to see Villa persevering with this. I mean, when even sort of arguably Gerard's closest ally in Perslow is you know sort of now on the verge of you know being ready to pull the trigger. I think that's that's quite damning. I, I'm not sure four points out of out of a possible six could even cut it. Let's be real, JJ. Like I said, I like Gerard, nice guy. These guys know the pressure that comes with them. But if Gerard gets sacked by Villa, he's going to walk into another job in a week or two anyway. Like let's be real. We saw it with Lampard. We see it with them. And again, it's the whole thing of these ex England golden generations. They're getting jobs given to them. That's just the reality of it. Whether people like it or not, that's the reality. I agree with you. He can get any job in the Scottish Premiership anytime he wants, Nigel Rio Coker. Next three games for Aston Villa, obviously against Fulham um, coming up on Thursday. Then they've got Brentford. Then they're away to Newcastle. So three big games coming up for them. Um, Here's a look at the schedule. Uh, Let's get into it, guys, real quickly. We've got to be quick because producer Des is pulling his hair out. Liverpool against West Ham. Nigel, big game for obviously Liverpool. Big game for the Amers, by the way. Can they upset Liverpool in any way? Oh, it's a tough one, man. It's a tough game for Liverpool to go into and it's a tough game. Well, I mean, Liverpool can go into with a lot of confidence, but losing Jota and Diaz, they're two big losses for Liverpool in their attacking sense. But you feel that with that win against City, if the confidence isn't very high in that dressing room and that belief isn't back, then there's some real serious problems there. But 
West Ham still really giving a bit of an indifferent season at the moment. Good point. Great goal by Declan Rice against uh, Southampton. But you'd have to say with being at Anfield, form guide favour, it's going to be a Liverpool win. JJ, I'm looking at that Brentford-Chelsea game. It looks like it could be a tasty affair here. Obviously, Chelsea is just getting things right under Graham Potter. But this is a difficult task because Brentford are a fun team to watch. They're a very, very dangerous team going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is, you know, a potentially tricky clash for for Chelsea. Uh, you know, and I think Villa, uh, you know, for for all of the criticism that we get that we've given them, you know, showed other teams the way to to get at this Chelsea while they're still finding their feet under Potter. You know, there are still vulnerable areas of that team. Uh, you know, and I think Brentford at this moment in time where they are, they're probably better, you know suited uh you know to being able to try to exploit those weaknesses than uh the, than Villa were so I think this one could be a tricky one for for Chelsea I, I do think it'll be close I mean I guess I would probably go for a draw if I had to if I had to pick a score either a draw or a narrow Chelsea win yeah I hear you on that one not an easy one to predict as is Newcastle against Everton uh the team with no ceiling Nigel Rio Coker who you got in Newcastle against Everton game I mean, Everton, Frank Lampard's doing well there. Um, I know some of the coaches he has with him in, in Clement that I had as a child under 14 level. So I'm sure they're giving Frank some good guidance. You can see a little bit of resurgence coming from Everton, but you'd have to say Newcastle right now of how they are. And uh, Gimaresh and Joel Linton in that centre midfield there, phew, they're doing a fantastic job. And I think the biggest miss for Newcastle is uh, Alan Saint-Maximin. He's a massive miss for them, but... I can see Newcastle getting the job done. I think, they're, again, you can see the confidence is in those players. The belief is there, the understanding and knowing what's expected. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Premier League action. Let's turn our attention to Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. It's Europa League action, Arsenal against PSV. Uh, it might be Thursday, actually. I take it back. Uh, rescheduled game, obviously postponed following the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, both teams top of the group, uh, regardless of the fact that they've played one game less. Um, I, I think it's uh, Zurich uh, who are struggling. Bora Glimp obviously struggling in the group, but Arsenal with a 100% record in the three games that they've played so far. Um, this is a good game to watch because PSV have been very good recently. Recently. I caught their game against Zurich recently. They were very, very good. Ruud van Nistelrooy on the sideline seems very animated. They've won six of the last seven games. JJ, tough one to predict here, or is it Arsenal um, relatively straightforward win again for them? I mean, I think that uh, PSV definitely have the capabilities of giving Arsenal a good game. I still fancy Arsenal, uh, you know, ultimately to, to get the win. But there's a lot that I like about this PSV side. I mean, I thought that Van Nistelrooy had them doing very well very early on in his tenure in the qualifiers. Obviously, they dropped out of the, the you know, Champions League reckoning. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of very, very talented players in this uh, this group at the moment. You've got Gakpo, who obviously has been linked with half of Europe. But the, the one who's really impressing me, given that he's only 19 years of age, moved on from PSG this summer. Xavi Simons, really, really impressed with the way that he's settled into life at the senior level. Eight goals, three assists in just 10 appearances so far. Very, very exciting young kid. Somebody to definitely keep an eye on. Uh, you know, and I I think that there will be a lot of people keeping their eye on this game, not only because it's the only European uh, continental clash of the of the week, but also just because it's, you know, it's an absolutely mouthwatering prospect on paper. You know, two sides that play very, very good football, uh, you know, and I mean, I guess a draw, you know, certainly wouldn't be beyond uh, PSV in a match like this. I guess I would just fancy Arsenal slightly, though, given that they're at home. Nigel, I Arsenal, think, yeah. once again, go into this game as favourites. I mean, clearly, the way they're performing right now, is there any team that can stop them, even when it comes to Europa League action? I watched PSV uh, go out of the Champions League against Rangers, and I was disappointed with them. However, the last game I watched against Zurich looked like a completely different team. 
But this yeah, will mean, be a completely a... different Arsenal team, though, because they rotate in Europe. True. They do, but I don't think they'll rotate as much this time, JJ, because you think if this fixture wasn't rearranged, I think Arsenal was scheduled to be playing Manchester City, I believe, this week. Yes. Um, yes, so they're supposed to play Manchester City. So I think he would want to keep the momentum going. I think it was a tough fought win against Leeds. And again, we spoke about momentum and when, when the situation is right at the club and everything's happening, you don't want to twinkle too much with this. And PSV is going to be a, a good test for them. And I think Arteta knows that. So you'll have to just treat it like this is a midweek game in the Premier League in, the, in a certain element of keeping momentum going so the boys stay fresh and ready for the weekend. I think you'd only twinkle it if there might be a few injury scares or anything like that. But with a team like PSV, you can't risk, risk twinkling it. And I don't know as much as you guys are on PSV, very knowledgeable on it. But I just think that Arsenal right now have got something good going on and you can't risk resting players and changing too much while the momentum, the, the form is on their side. Yeah, can I just add to that, JJ, what you just touched upon about changing the lineup? Haven't they built up enough squad or quality and depth that when you see rotation with Arsenal right now, I mean, you've basically got 17, 18 players who are all fighting to get into that starting 11. They probably deserve, in many ways, a place in the starting 11 for Arteta. It's a much more deep, full squad, full of quality. It is, but also I think at the same time, uh, you know, Europe has been identified as the way to sort of give a breather to the real sort of key performers, the guys who Arteta relies on week in, week out in the Premier League, especially sort of double match weeks. Uh, you know, so I think there might be some sort of half rotation, maybe not as deep as we've seen already this season in Europe, but still sort of one or two players coming in and out. But it's a valid point because, you know, at the end of the day, overall, when you look at the team on paper, you know, the, the quality doesn't actually drop off that much when you do make those changes mm -hmm. all right well let me just mention it to you that you can watch exclusively on paramount plus which you can try out no strings attached with a one month free trial if you're watching on youtube scan the qr code on the screen and use offer code uefa22 to watch the best club soccer on the planet as well as plenty more premium content for free Podcast listeners, you can click on the link in the description and use the same offer code UEFA2022. All right, let's get into it real quickly. We're going to have a quick whip around Coppa Italia action, also available on Paramount Plus. Um, it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting competition when it comes to these midweek fixtures because the top seeded teams they have the midweek off; they don't have to worry about playing. Uh, the lower seeded teams in Serie A now have to compete in matches to then go through to the next round. This is the second round of fixtures that are coming up. Paramount Plus. Anything that grabs your attention here, we have Genoa against Spal, Torino against Cittadella, can't even pronounce it properly, Spezia, Brescia, Parma, Bari, Udinese, Monza. That could be a good game, actually, Udinese against Monza. Udinese obviously doing well, Monza, uh, controversial ownership, but I'm sitting at the table in the Italian league right now. Uh, Cremonese against Modena, Sampdoria, Ascoli could be a decent one in Bologna, Cagliari. Anything grab your attention there, JJ? You could be watching a bit of Coppa Italia action in midweek. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I don't usually ch um, chime into the, the Coppa Italia until much later in the competition. I think it, the, the way it's weighted is a bit of a nonsense. It doesn't take away from the fact that it is a very good domestic cup competition. I just feel that it could be weighted uh, a little bit better. I know that I'm biased, but I really love the, the Coupe de France and the way that you get every team within France and its territories taking part in a domestic comp competition and basically lasts the entirety of the season just to get through it all. But I mean, for, I, th I think you're definitely right 
right in picking out Udinese Monza as the most interesting one, uh, you know, this midweek. It's an Udinese side doing very, very well in the league, uh, you know, and I guess they could fancy themselves, uh, you know, to make a deep run in the in the Coppa Italia, especially starting this far back. But also at the same time, you know, do they start to prioritize the league already in the hope of, you know, maybe getting themselves into Europe or do they just reason that they're going to have the World Cup break, get some of their players rested anyway and just try and blast through this and make the the first half of the season the best start to the campaign that it can possibly be so yeah definitely think that it's going to be the game that I pay the most close attention to this midweek Nigel I want to get your in-depth thoughts on Cremonese against Modena please do you have anything to add about that game (laughs) (laughs) Cremonese sounds like something he has on his pasta you're not wrong I have no comment whatsoever, but JJ said it right. I don't get really involved till the later rounds. That's about yeah, it. Yeah, I hear you. Most people don't. However, if you do want to get involved in it, they're available on Paramount Plus. The uh, Serie A crew will be available to get you through all of those games. There are some crackers. And of course, there will be a few upsets when it comes to cup competition. So make sure you don't miss out. Watch it all on Paramount Plus. Uh, before we get out here, let's talk a little bit of La Liga. Elche against Real Madrid. Barcelona against Villarreal. Two big games coming up here, Nigel. Uh, who you got your eyes on? Uh, maybe a Barcelona reaction? action against Villarreal because that's not an easy game yeah, that's for them. Not, that's a good game to watch. That is a great game to watch. I think it's not going to be an easy game for them at all. Villarreal always well-organized, well-structured. They don't concede a lot of goals. At the moment, we can still see Barcelona struggling to really score goals, put it into the back of the net, even with your bromance lover, Lewandowski. But again, do you feel now that there's too much reliance on Dembele? But I'm, I'm interested to see how Barcelona react from the El Clasico loss. Uh, JJ, real quick on your thoughts on Real Madrid coming to this game against Elche. Uh, they play on Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. Real Madrid, top of the league. Elche, bottom of the league. Top scorers of the league against the worst defence in the league when it comes to La Liga action. Should be a relatively easy, straightforward victory. But Benzema picking up that Ballon d'Or, maybe parted a little too hard in uh, Paris last night and around your corner. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I mean, you can, might be able to see sort of a <laughs> bit of a drop-off individually, but also at the same time, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, when you see a player who's just picked up an award they kind of you know they want to, to to just remind everyone exactly why they've just picked up that award you know Benzema I think you know he's he's missed a couple of games already this season he'll definitely want to get himself back into the similar form that saw him uh you know win that title uh and you know for me I think in terms of the La Liga games this week I, I'm more keeping an eye on Barca because, you know, you're starting to get these hints now that people are starting to not believe in Xavi as much as before. Uh, You know, there's people mentioning uh, the fact that Laporta wasn't necessarily totally convinced by appointing him as coach. My feeling is that the Barca project has completely changed since Xavi was appointed as coach. And I'm now no longer certain that he is perhaps the, the right guy to be overseeing this team because you've seen with their results in the last couple of weeks, that there is such pressure on them to get these results, you know, to be challenging at the top of the league, to be challenging in the Champions League. Uh, and I think it's very, very difficult to, to pull that off when you have as little experience as Xavi has. Yeah, big comments right there, JJ. I appreciate it. Nigel, thank you so much as always. Uh, before we get out here, producer Des just allowed me to have the stage just a little bit because I'm absolutely knackered. Last night I was celebrating a little Major League Soccer action because my beloved New York City Football Club uh, beat into Miami in Iguain's last ever professional game. I was there. His last shot landed in Rosette, Nigel. I'm not lying to you. It was almost a home run at City you. Field where the Mets <laughs> played. It was incredible. But NYCFC look absolutely fantastic. JJ, do you watch any MLS at all over there? 
I tune in every now and then when you get the real highlights, like uh, two defenders hitting the post within five seconds of each other trying to clear the ball. <laughs> you didn't see the penalty. Uh, I mean, I've, I've kept, I've kept, I've kept an eye on MLS for a long, long time. Kind of glossed over Nigel Rio Coca's uh, foray over in the states, but uh, no, I was always a, a long time follower of uh, San Jose Earthquake. So I do, I do keep an eye out for them. But there's not oh. much. Uh, there's not, not much sort of. Uh, post-season action when you're an Earthquakes fan. Why, why San Jose Earthquakes? Years. Is that a George Best thing or is that like a London? No, no, no. It's not, it's, not even, it's, not even, it's not even that deep. When I was doing a bit of work uh, with Major League Soccer way, way back in the day, I got assigned to cover them when they came over to England uh, for a few days on tour. Got to know some of the guys in the setup and yeah, I've just kept an eye out for, for their results ever since. And uh, can't say there's been too many positive ones. Obviously, Wondolowski retiring, uh, you know, that yeah. uh, that that hurts as well, but uh, you know when when you have your team, you have your team, I guess. Nigel, final thoughts: Who wins MLS this year? Is it going to be New York City Football Club? Mm, probably so. It's even going to be New York uh, or maybe uh, LAFC. Yeah, I think there's a few teams that are competing. But if anybody out there who's watching in here hasn't watched much Major League Soccer around the world, go try and watch the second goal from NYCFC's victory over Inter Miami yesterday. It was 20 passes as the ball found its way into the back of the net. Ten different players touched the ball. It went up and down what the pitch twice. Ian, it was brilliant. you start giving it? You said it earlier in the pod about Man City, the City group. Where's the manager from of NYFC? Wasn't he Pep's number two? Uh, he was not Pep's number two. Uh, number Nick three. Cushing He's the interim boss right now, NYCFC, because Ronnie Dyla, our previous coach, he went over to Belgium. He left and went to Standard Liège. So we replaced him with an interim boss, which is Nick Cushion, who was the Manchester City ladies boss before he came over to NYCFC three years ago. And he's doing a great job, Nigel. So um, got to give him a big oh. pat on the back. Got to give Wonder my why. NYCFC some love. <laughs> There is no ceiling, Nigel. Unfortunately, in Major League Soccer, there is a ceiling. You can only spend so much money. Thanks to everybody out there for, for watching in, and thank you for your comments. Um, we love doing these preview shows for you. Obviously, Nigel, JJ, we really appreciate both of you. Thank you so much, JJ, for taking time out of your day. Nigel, thank you for taking that cigar out of your mouth for a quick hour so that you could join us and uh, chat some <laughs> soccer ball. And we appreciate everybody out there for joining in as well. We know we're going to continue to try and improve and get better and bring you the show that you want as we go forward. There's a lot of things happening behind the scenes. We look forward to showing every one of you. JJ is getting on a plane soon to come to New York. Nigel Rio Coker once again coming back to New York to his old hood so he can hang out with the boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stomping ground. Don't worry about that, <laughs> man. A few cigars and get a bit of whiskey down as well. He's here, I am sure of that. But thank you so much to everybody out there for listening to Kegelatsa once again. Please make sure you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. We're also available unfortunately for Nigel Rio Coker on video. Ah, so subscribe ah, to yeah, us yeah, on youtube.com <laughs> forward slash Kegelat. So thanks to everybody. Enjoy the midweek games. Make sure you be careful where you're putting money if you're betting because right now the friction Don't listen to Ian is and you'll be absolutely fine. crazy. And yes, please do listen to Ian because I'm up. No, don't, because you're bottom of the league. Don't one, listen so. to Ian, people. Don't listen <laughs> to Ian. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Just cut it right here. Get rid of Nigel. <laughs> see you guys.